0: Good evening to you all. You've been laboring away with your uh, your meta practice today. Maybe it's felt like laboring, maybe it's felt like exploring or playing with or enjoying but you've been dedicating yourself to to this cultivation, such an important cultivation, from the perspective of the Buddha. And this quality of goodwill metta is the the first quality of the heart that is developed and cultivated in the trainings called the Brahma-viharas, the Brahma-viharas. And that phrase is usually translated as divine abidings, uh, heaven-like realms um, that we can actually come to um, live in, in terms of our subjective experience. that's an interesting thought, isn't it? To be able to abide in metta. The Buddha says you can actually find liberation, liberation of the mind through the cultivation of metta. That would be pretty powerful medicine to have. But it's not the only only medicine there in the Brahma-viharas because it's a, a suite of practices. There are actually four of them. The, the second of these is the practice of compassion, karuna. And I'm going to focus this talk on uh, compassion tonight and talk about its place in the Buddhist practice, what it is and what it isn't, and um, offers some stories that illustrate this quality of the heart. Those of you who know anything about the narrative of the life of the Buddha might know that he was raised in pretty luxurious and coseted circumstances. So he was... Uh, the son of what's described as a a king and he was the heir apparent to the the kingdom and it said that uh, at the time of the Buddha's birth a wandering holy man came to the palace and told his father that the child that was being born or had just been born was a was a very, very special person. And that this person had the karma to go one of two ways. He would either become a world ruler, in other words, take daddy's job and, you know, far surpass him, or he would become a renunciate, seeker of truth. He would be someone who was looking to understand life and the world and to free his mind. So his father had a preference. (laughs) You know what that's like. So it, it said, and you know, this is this is part of the hagiography of the Buddha's life, that uh, they set up the palace so that the Buddha really wasn't exposed to very much that was dissonant. Like they kept unpleasantry uh, away from him, and they provided him with a lot of sense pleasures. And the Buddha talks about this and his own words when he talks about how he he lived in a way that was refined, very refined. You know, how there were like special palaces for him for different seasons and, you know, all the, the different flowers and lilies and the silks and the, uh, the women and the music and all the rest of this. All the sense pleasures um, that could come with, Worldly power, if you want to put it that way. And uh, the story goes that the Buddha, Gautama, must have had an inkling of something because at one point he left his palace with his charioteer and outside of the protected confines of the palace he came across several different sites that affected him very deeply he came across someone who was old and decrepit in the way that old age can bring he came across someone who was sick and he came across someone who was dead and he said to his charioteer it is said you know what's going on with that person <laughs> You know, and that person and that person does this happen often <laughs> and the charioteer basically said yeah it happens to everybody um And at that point, the Buddha says in his own words, at that point, the vanity of youth entirely left me. Meaning it was time to put away silly things. Because if this was the universal truth, what do silly things do for you? And it said the last of the four sights that he saw was the sight of a renunciate, a person wearing the, the robes of a, a seeker practitioner. And his heart was was moved to take up this path to find liberation, to figure out what was going on and how to be with it, how to work with it, how to free himself. But if you look further back in the story of the Buddha, it is said that many, 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 many years before, he had actually, in another life, been a person standing on the street, when the then Buddha came by, and when he saw the then Buddha, that his heart was so moved by the seeing of a completely liberated and realized person and the power of their presence, that he actually made a vow, that in some future lifetime he would obtain Liberation of heart and mind for the benefit of all beings. That he would become the next person to come and through self effort again find and revive the liberation teachings and offer them to beings so they could be free. And this was done out of compassion. So the whole undertaken undertaking rests upon and is an expression of compassion this altruistic intention to find liberation for the benefit of all beings so that is what he he was about and you can probably see why Gautama Buddha's seeing of suffering when he left the palace, like prompted something really deep in him to go on the search again, to leave everything and to go on the search again to try to find an answer to this suffering. And because he saw the truth of suffering so deeply, he opened to it so fully, that became the field in which he explored how suffering could be undone. And if you know anything about the structure of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which is the basic architecture and prime content of the Buddha's teachings, the first teaching he offers is the teaching on the truth of dukkha. There is stress. There is unsatisfactoriness. There is suffering. There is difficulty. So he kind of like heads the the boat right into the wave. It's like, okay, let's start by just acknowledging the way that it is. This is what goes on. And he talks about old age, sickness and death, sorrow, lamentation and grief, separation from what is loved, contact with what we don't like, you know, the full list of what we experience as human beings because it's baked into the cake and not just for human beings but we have the cognitive capacity to kind of like let things resonate <laughs> resonate, uh, and have a generalized insight about the truth of, of dukkha in a way that maybe you know more simple animals like you know a dog might not I mean dogs can understand something about death when it happens but it's not like you know my dog Kevin you know sits on his bed and like ponders his impermanence or anything <laughs> I don't think he does <laughs> although he does take advantage of every moment of enjoyment that he can possibly get so the Buddha starts with, with suffering and the whole system is designed to free the mind by understanding how suffering is caused and by putting together a strategy to undercut the causes of suffering and the conditions under which suffering arises to eliminate it. So when you get to the eightfold path, piece of it, which is you know if you like the the four noble truths is like the you know the the, the top line uh, descript, problem description problem statement. Oh, there is suffering. Then there's uh, the second noble truth. There is a cause for suffering. The third noble truth is there is a way to undo suffering. And then the fourth noble truth is basically a reference to this is how you do it. Drop down menu, you get to the Eightfold Path. The first step on the Eightfold Path talks about wise view, which basically kind of like ties back up into the first ta- part. And it has to do with how clinging and ignorance um, cause suffering, cause discretionary human suffering. And then the rest of the Eightfold Path is basically perspective and method on what you need to do or can do to undo it, to free yourself from being caught in this round of craving and acting out of craving that causes us to do things that actually don't have the effect we want it to have and can actually bind us up further in exactly what we don't want. <clears throat> so the second step of the Eightfold Path has to do with wise intention. Wise intention. And this is really interesting in the context of the practice that we're doing here, Metta and the other Brahma Viharas. Because the Buddha says, you know, as you as you go, this is my uh, my version. He doesn't use exactly this language, so you forgive me my uh, transliteration here. But he he basically says, while you're doing this path, you need to understand and develop this particular intention, the intention of goodwill and the intention of compassion and the intention of renunciation so what's renunciation you might ask it's basically choosing not to have the pursuit of sense pleasures as your highest goal in life training the mind so it's willing to let go of what is pleasant when it goes in a direction that is not in accord with your your higher goals and interests. In other words, to not be led around by the nose of what is, a, what is pleasurable or imagined to be pleasant. Because if you look at the direction of the... the Teachings, you kind of got to go upstream, right? You have to go upstream against your your baseline in a lot of ways. So he said, this wise intention then is to be read into every other part of the path. So if you look at um, at some of the Steps on the Eightfold Path that fall after there are steps that have to do with ethics, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. So what's that about? It's about non-harming. Non-harming is kind of a a basic plat- intention of non-harming is a basic platform and expression of compassion, as well as wisdom, right? It's like, I don't want to do things that are going to mess myself up, make myself suffer. I don't want to do things that are going to make other people suffer. I don't want to go that way. When you get to wise wise effort, the Buddha talks about, basically, Understanding that some behaviors, some intentions are skillful and onward leading, meaning they're going to get you going towards what you want. And some are unskillful and are expressions of delusion. And if followed, will take you where you don't want to go and he says the ones that are the road that are going to take you to where you want to go you, those you want to develop and cultivate these other ones like the you know the bad exit off the freeway you don't want to go there those you want to those you want to let go of those you want to not act on so all of this is about clarification about causation What leads to what? And he's kind of spelling it out. So you've got a map. Now, so all this is about trying to keep ourselves out of trouble and make ourselves wiser and happier and to cultivate well-being and to act in a way that supports the well-being of others and contributes to the, the happiness and well-being of society and the planet. So when the Buddha is, t- is telling us, you know, you want to cultivate the wholesome, the beneficial, one of the big areas of possible development and cultivation is exactly what we're doing here, which is the cultivation of the Brahma-viharas. Goodwill, metta, that's a wise intention, right? Compassion, karuna, that's wise intention. Empathetic joy, that's wise intention. Equanimity, that's, <laughs> that's wise intention. We're shaping the mind in a particular kind of way. We're using the capacity for attention very intentionally to get more of what is beneficial and to let go of what is suffering. And the the meta-practice is the technology, if you want to put it that way, for, for doing that. So, let me talk about com- compassion in particular. And it's very interesting. Well, first to say, if Metta is wishing well for somebody, as if, you know, sometimes I, I'll describe it as, it's, it's the, uh, if, it were about to, if it were up to me, mind, if it, were, if it were up to me, you would be happy. If it were up to me, you'd be healthy. Right? If it were up to me, you'd be safe and at ease. And this is wonderful and beautiful expression of the heart. And then, of course, our cognitive reality testing minds. At some point, a little thought arises in your mind. And the thought is, yeah, but what about all the dukkha, right? What are we doing here? We're like wishing this and wishing this and, yeah, but what about the dukkha? So this is actually an intelligent question, right? Because what are we saying, you know? It's like fairy godmother, you know, ding, 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 ding you know, pink sprinkles. <laughs> but what, what about the circumstances when it's really clear, for instance, it's really obvious to us that there actually is suffering there. There's actually difficulty there. How does the, how does the awakened heart meet that? And the answer to that is, is compassion, compassion. So it's said that metta is the first field of development for the other Brahma Viharas. So first we orient the mind towards goodwill and care in the development of metta and then when that mind of goodwill connects with or recognizes suffering, the way it responds is with compassion. It said it trembles. There's a kind of quivering of the heart there. So some of the compassion phrases that are often used in cultivation might be something like, May I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May you be free from suffering. May you be at peace. Those would be examples of compassion phrases. And we know this quality of the heart seems to be inborn I can remember once uh, when my father passed away and my siblings and I, of course, were there with, with my mother at the funeral home. And at the time, one of my nieces was an infant. So my brother was holding her like in one of his arms the way he used to hold her Uh, he's a pretty strong guy hold her like that and uh, my younger sister you know we're all kind of like standing in a pretty close circle like talking you know just kind of like silently offering each other support Um, and my younger sister as we were standing there started to cry and it wasn't like a you know, big explosive cry or anything it was one of those cries where it was just, you know grief and sorrow and, uh, you know, she had taken care of my dad for most of his illness along with my mom and as she was just standing there you know, trying to suppress she was trying to suppress like a big outburst like a tear started to run down her cheek. And then another one. And it was really interesting what happened next because as I watched this, I watched my niece, who was less than a year old, maybe eight months old, maybe, look at her, and something registered, and then she put her hand out with like, Utmost tenderness and went like that to the tear. And it was clear to me what was going on there that, you know, she recognized distress and she kind of touched. When my dad, who was also a big strong man like my brother was in the hospital and was was terminally ill uh, he had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma so you know he kind of like got the chemo and everything kind of like lost his hair and everything you know so all these indignities that we experience um, So, he was never like a religious, particularly religious sort of person. I can remember once he told me when my mother was insisting I go to church and I was refusing, (laughs) it was causing (laughs) within the house. Uh, I remember my dad coming upstairs to talk to me and and he said, your mother's upset. I said, yeah. He says, you should go. I said, I'm not going. He said, Well, the way I look at it is maybe it's not true but never hurts. Maybe it is <laughs> and that was his rationale, right? So I wouldn't say he was like a deep believer or anything. <laughs> but uh it was interesting. There there was uh when he was in the hospital and he was being wheeled around, he started doing this, this thing that was just kind of like spontaneous. When he would pass, you know, somebody else in a wheelchair or with an IV pole or et on the on the chemo floor, when he went by him, he would say, Peace be with you. peace be with you. Where's that coming from? Right? There was was something uh, tender there and caring that was being expressed. You know, and we see this sometimes with like the natural innocence of kids, right? Have you seen some of those uh, stories about like some grade school age kid like you know third or fourth grade sees a news story about kids someplace that you know don't have food or something and then they kind of like get on their parents you know we gotta go you know we gotta go get food we gotta you know pretty soon they're dragging the adults around to have a have a food drive and send it over there or here So, you know, this this is innate with us, right? Your your, Your parent, your baby cries. Oh, right? It's organic sometimes where it's nearest to us with the ones we know or at least some of them. And then there's all the rest of them. Ones that aren't close to us, the other ones. <clears throat> so, what would it be, be like to have a mind that could hold compassion for a much broader range of beings? A few weeks ago, when I was teaching at the Spirit Rock month long, we started at the, the end of February. It was the March retreat, which somewhat incongruently starts in February, <laughs> late February. And as we were coming into the retreat, the Ukrainian situation was starting to unfold. And that caused uh, quite a stir in some people's minds going into retreat. You know, because now you're going to go into seclusion. You're not going to know what's going on. You know, some people had connections there. And as the, the days went on, it became clear that it was going to be really bad then. Um, some senior teachers within our tra- tradition decided that it would be a good thing to offer some online meta about what was going on in Ukraine. So, you know, they asked for volunteers to, to do this. And so... I said I would do it. I would do one of these units. And I really wanted to do one of these units. Because if you look at my last name, some of you might recognize that it's actually Ukrainian. And as I was thinking about this, okay, we're going to be doing meta, we're going to be doing meta. How does meta fit? (laughs) How does... How does Meta fit with this? What, what does it mean? What can it offer? What, what, is, what is the point of this exercise? Right. And my mind was also going to, okay, at the end of late in March, people are going to be coming out of retreat back into this world and all the news, and what are we going to tell them? So when I was doing this offering I started by saying I don't know what I'm going to tell them when they come off retreat. I'm trying to figure out how to explain it to them. But then my mind really went in a certain direction which was to some of the classic metaphrases, so there are a number of different sets of metaphrases, right? A number of different sets of them. We're using a particular set. The classic one, like old school, that you might get uh, from a teacher like Pawak Sayadaw, would be. May I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May I be free from mental suffering. May I be free from physical suffering. May I be well and happy. So those are the ones that I chose to do the meta-offering because they directly acknowledged and responded to the actual truth of the situation and one of the things I also talked about was I said, you know, I'm watching you know, I'm watching some of the some of the video imaging of this and as I'm watching it I see it's like that guy's got my father's hands. I was like, that woman looks like my sister. And then I thought, yeah, but they're all like my father, and they're all like my sister, wherever they are. You know, whether it's in Burma or if it's in the Sudan or whether it's in Central America if it's in Buffalo they're all all my relations I can recognize my, some of my relations really clearly and immediately and the heart is spontaneously responsive and compassionate And then there are others. i got to work at it. <laughs> so these trainings are intended to move us from using the resources of our, our, our innate gift of empathy and compassion and care and concern to take that, to strengthen it, and to help us be able to extend it wider and wider and wider and wider. And the expression of goodwill, just like the expression of compassion, doesn't necessarily mean that you just sit on your cushion and say phrases. Right? There's action to be taken. There's action that can be taken. But unless we have developed the intention of goodwill, the intention of compassion, that as a value set, we're not going to take action. Right? Buddha's understanding is that intention is the forerunner of all things. So when we're sitting on the cushion, we're working with intention, the development and strengthening of intention, this reflex of the mind. And then it goes forth in actions of body and speech. It's not just sitting in our world enjoying the bliss Which is not to say the bliss is unwholesome. It's not, it's wholesome. The Buddha Buddha talked about one of his most favorite things being actually to sit and think about the fact that no being anywhere in this realm or any realm had anything to fear from him. That he was completely harmless he had no intention of ill will whatsoever but only metta and the thought filled him with joy How can we begin the process of developing some compassion for evildoers? Let's just say it. If you understand the nature of the mind and the Buddhist teachings you come to the point where you see that unskillful actions, unwholesome actions, evil actions always come out of delusion. They always come out of delusion and ignorance, avijja, wrong view, wrong understanding, not understanding what actually will bring happiness and benefit, and then doing something that actually creates the opposite, and that more deeply enmeshes the individual as well as the culture in suffering. I um, one of the things I've been doing since the the war began is learning some history of the the area in depth. The town that my grandparents are from is uh I'm saying it with my English uh I'm sure it sounds different and Ukrainian uh Ternopil. So when I was looking up the history of the town what I saw was this is how it started this invasion from Lithuania this Polish count and then you know this group came in and took over here and then the the ottomans came in and they sacked and looted it and then the Mon- golden horde came in and they sacked and looted it and then the russians came in and sacked and looted it and, and the town was polish and then it was all jewish and then it was ukrainian and then it was then the germans came and the nazis came and then the communists came and then the Say they had a bad location. <laughs> but a lot of places on Earth are like this, right? I mean, the planet's soaked with blood. We have minds that. We're kind of organized for living in relatively small tribal groups. A few hundred people. Everybody's probably biologically related in some kind of way. And then there's the others. The others that might come to come to the camp and take stuff including people that's what we're working with this organic built in capacity for compassion for caring and these these limits limits that have some basis in our primal experience as a species so it's not a small thing or an inconsequential thing to learn to work with your mind to overcome these kind of primal limits and push it out push out your boundaries there's this phrase sometimes used in describing the process of developing the brahma viharas until they get to uh being universal meaning everybody is is in the field as far as far as uh our ability to offer meta or any of the others and it's called breaking down the barriers breaking down the barriers breaking down the internal resistance that goes well yeah that guy yeah she's uh, okay maybe a little you know like okay yeah i suppose so <sighs> that one mm. This group, yeah, mostly. That one, no way, no way. When I was watching some interviews on YouTube of mostly young, but not all young Russians, um, there's a show called uh, 1420. Seems to be some young guy that's been paid by a foundation or something to go around and offer like pop questions to people. Like one question he'll ask, you know, 20 people. And they give him their answer in, you know, like a minute or less. And it's fa- fascinating. What do you think about what's going on now? What do you think about the economy now? What do you think about Finland joining NATO now? Was it better when it was the Soviet Union? Do you think this is going to affect you at all? And it's very interesting to to see the reaction, the reactions. Because first of all, you're seeing people in a cultural setting or to answer that kind of question directly on as it's being recorded and you know it's going to be available to the world if it's recorded, right? And you can see that in their faces, you yeah? know? But still 20% of them, I would guess, of the group including some older ones they're very against it and willing to say it and then you see other people come right up to it right up to it and you can tell they kind of like they're getting there getting there and then they just deflect you know but I don't know anything about politics da 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 it would be good to have peace but you know I don't know what what our leaders are dealing with and Systems of delusion that force people into collaboration with delusion. So I'm finding these days when i when I do my meta, which I've taken up as my primary practice for now um, when i close i always i always go to this situation last and uh I kind of call it in you know i call in the i call in the the beings so first I offer metta to Ukrainian men women and children and then I offer it to Ukrainian elders creatures and the land and I call in the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is meaningful to them, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, the Noble Ones, the Angels and Saints, the people of goodwill, and visualize all of us offering this intention for protection and peace. And then I go to Russia. May the men, the women, the children of Russia be protected from harm and danger. May the elders, the creatures and the land of Russia be safe. May the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, the saints and the angels, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Noble Ones, people of goodwill, may we all come together and offer care and concern May you be free from delusion. May you be safe. May you be at ease. Sharon was talking about the... uh, how you can... uh, you can't necessarily notice the progression of your practice on this moment-to-moment level, sitting on your cushion. Right? You're not necessarily seeing like big things happen, but it's in your life over the longer haul that you come to understand what's possible. So what I noticed about this was my mind was equally willing to offer to both. Despite (laughs) my uh, intellectual clarity and my emotional understanding of the evil that's being done. You know, we don't have to let our mind be turned into suffering in order to acknowledge what's true. You know, we can develop and train our minds to be able to keep our seed. To hold that intention. To keep putting that out you know, to deal with the the feedback and the resistance and the internal unwillingness and the <clears throat> static that can come when we're getting to these points where we're crossing over from the point <clears throat> of what we can do now into new territory where we can't quite do it yet. Can't quite do it yet, it's kind of like awkward, it's stiff, Maybe the mind rebounds off it. It bounces back into "I I don't want to do that. Sometimes it'll bounce back from, I don't want to do that, all the way back into, I don't want to do that either. I don't like But, you know, we keep at it. We keep at it. This is how you can free your mind. When we're talking about uh, what talks we're going to do, I said I want to do the one on compassion. Sharon was on the call, and I said it's not going to be sweet either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of one of the misunderstandings of some of these practices. You know, like if you keep doing these things, like you know, your brain's going to turn to mush and. You know, you're not going to have any discernment, and you can't set boundaries, and you won't be able to stand up for yourself, and you know what I mean? People are going to take advantage of of you. Doing these kinds of practices and developing in this kind of way is done in parallel with the development of wisdom. So it's possible to move in the direction of you know, cultivating the wisdom piece as well as the heart piece. Um, and sometimes the teachings of the Buddha are described in just this very way that it's like a, a bird with two wings. Wisdom and compassion. Wisdom and compassion. Working, working together. So, my wish for you is that you experience for yourself the opening of the heart, the strengthening of the the heart, which comes from these cultivations, and that you continue on the road to liberating what is present and most beautiful within you. May our practice be for our own benefit and for that of all beings.